If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, throughout this broadcast, the Tuesday, we're going to be talking about General Milley, General McKenzie, and General Austin, now Secretary of Defense Austin. And they're trying to uh, give us an insight on why they thought it was a good idea to leave $85 billion worth of equipment behind, people behind, have Taliban handle our security, uh, come up with the worst dismount from a, a conflict in the history of the American uh, military. Uh, they have to explain themselves and they have to explain whose decisions these were. And it begins today. It'll go through tomorrow and hopefully continue. Why General Milley loves talking to Bob Woodward uh, but doesn't love talking to us, I'm not really sure. Uh, loves talking about critical race theory when asked. Fully embraces it. Seems to really be in simpatico with Nancy Pelosi, uh, but not Donald Trump. Meanwhile, look at the foreign policy that Joe Biden has brought. And tell me, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you are comfortable with that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There were assessments that ranged initially from one to two years to, uh, to you know, several months. It was very difficult to predict with accuracy. Nobody predicted that, you know, the government would fall in 11 days. Explain yourself. That's what General Milley McKenzie and Austin will be grilled about today on Capitol Hill after the Afghanistan evacuation debacle, which has them uh, leaving billions behind in hardware and people. It misrepresents the strength of the Afghan army, droning 10 innocents, leaving hundreds, if not thousands of American allies and Americans and green card holders behind. Uh, I hope Dems will be as angry as Republicans. Number two. You cannot just swap people out in the hospital setting. Uh, nurses have a lot of experience and there's institutional wisdom. And you learn the policies and procedures and emergency protocols. So there will be some unintended harm from just swapping out personnel. Uh, yeah, Dr. McCary's got it right again. Now it's getting serious. Ridiculous, oppressive vax mandates may cause hospitals thousands of workers and medical professionals. Their jobs in cities like San Francisco, New York, and Massachusetts. Their demand to be vaccinated, even though in all medical sectors they have gone over 90% uh, threshold. How dare we vilify the men and women we just hailed as heroes. In just three days, teachers will face the same decisions. Cops as well in states like Massachusetts. In Biden's America, there is no room for sanity. Number one. It is zero price tag on the debt. We're paying. We're going to pay for everything we spend. It's going to be zero. This is a zero dollar bill because it's going to be completely paid for. The reconciliation package would cost zero dollars. Uh, do you get the sense there's a few catchphrases? Spending palooza is causing friction and Joe Biden spouts fiction as he tweets out the reconciliation package will cost us nothing, which would be true if five trillion was nothing. The details in the spending package will enrage you and Democratic moderates moderates are getting pressure from protesters and colleagues to cave. So far, thankfully, they have not. 
So let's get started. Uh, let's talk about the spending push. Congress shows signs of movement after Republicans blocked the bill to avoid the government shutdown. So get this. Yesterday, they put out a CR, which continuing a resolution to allow the government to continue to be funded. Normally, both sides would sign off on that. What would stop it? Well, raising the debt threshold. Um, because the debt ceiling is a certain level, and you have to vote to extend it. Fine. Republicans said, no, we're not doing that. You're about to jam a whole bunch of trillions of dollars down our throats that we don't want, and I'm supposed to make room in a debt ceiling for you to do just that? No. You only need 50 votes. You have the 50 votes. Put out your CR, your continuing resolution, without me. At which time, Chuck Schumer cheated, uh, uh, tweeted out, sorry, cheated out, if, G- if GOP votes... Uh, no, on raising the debt ceiling, then they will be deliberately sabotaging the country's ability to pay the bills and likely cause first ever default in U.S. history. Okay. The problem is you're in control of everything. You can do it through simple reconciliation, get your 50 votes, and fund the government. You want to raise the debt ceiling, too, and Republicans would not buy it. You thought they'd blink. They didn't. Remember, in 2018, when Republicans had the House and the Senate and the White House, here's what Nancy Pelosi tweeted out. This is the first time in recent memory that the government shutdown has been possible when one party, one party, has controlled the White House, House, and Senate. The Republicans own this. Hashtag do your job. Okay. Hashtag do your job, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, fund the government uh, and do it right now. So what is the other thing? Well, the other thing is $3.5 trillion. And you're not going to believe this, but this was actually tweeted out by Joe Biden. Maybe he typed this out himself, or maybe it doesn't matter. That means his communication Uh, department did, which is even scarier. Quote, my Build Back Better agenda costs zero dollars. Instead of wasting money on tax breaks, loopholes, and tax evasion for big corporations and the wealthy, we can make a once-in-a-lifetime generation investment in working America. Zero dollars or five trillion. Is there a difference? Ron Klain said something similar to the Wall Street crowd that he spoke in front of a couple weeks ago. So Scott Jennings, have all the tweets in response that just mock this. Scott Jennings, a GOP operative, tweeted this. Hey, I give you my word as a Biden. Hunter's laptop is Russian disinformation. Illegal immigration is seasonal fluctuation. I was arrested in South Africa. <laughs> Al-Qaeda is gone from Afghanistan. Cars are cheap. And there's no inflation. And, 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 and. True. We can't believe any of this because none of it's true. You want to say Joe Biden, he's a good guy that people like? I don't know. I've never seen that side of him. I've seen an angry guy who has one sector that he seems to get higher ratings than the others. He's got 42% approval right now on most polls, approval in a country with a total compliant, almost a complete compliant press. And he gets 54% approval on handling the pandemic. So he keeps coming out with these proclamations on handling the pandemic. We got to get everybody vaccinated. Here's my booster shot, even if the science is not behind it. Yesterday, he did the same thing, went ahead and got a, a booster shot, even if the science is not so, so-called so behind it. So we'll see. Uh, real quick before we move on, Mitch McConnell on the debt ceiling. Cut to. We'll see if Washington Democrats actually want to govern or whether they want to add the prospect of a government shutdown to the list of inflation, Afghanistan, the border, and all the other national crises that are the direct results of their own decisions. So about three weeks ago, the Senate passed a $1.2 trillion reconcilia, uh, excuse me, bipartisan infrastructure package. A lot of Republicans didn't sign off on it. 19 did. They got to the House where we understand there's 23 definite yeses, but not if they're going to jam down a reconciliation package, which is essentially everything that they bargained out of the 1.2, they put in plus 
on the 3.5. So the Republicans say, if you vote for that, I'm not going to vote for this. But there'll be 23 hard yeses on the 1.2. If you're following this, and I hope you are, now the moderates in the House said, I don't want to moderate Democrats in the House said, I don't really want to do the 3.5, but I'll negotiate on it if you do the bipartisan deal. So Nancy Post says, all right, I'll do it on September 27th. I'm just checking my calendar here, September 27th. That was yesterday. And they were unable to get the votes to pass it. So here we are on September 28th. So Nancy Pelosi broke a word. Now they're getting pressure from the left to get this thing passed. Cradle to grave funding. Things like preschool, daycare, school lunches, junior college, elder care, things that in the dream world we think we would love everybody to have everything at all times. But in our free market economy, it's not possible. Opportunity, yes. Packages, absolutely. For those in need, find something. But for everybody, that's called socialism. That would never work. It'll never be effective. Dan Crenshaw, on the attitude, this is what he told me last night on primetime, on the attitude of this administration and their messaging of trying to tell everyone this stuff is free, $3.5 trillion won't cost anything. Cut seven. Uh, it's not free. Nothing is free, Brian. And, and I'm sorry, but I but I can't give you a good explanation for this because there isn't one. I know math is hard for Democrats and especially so for the ones who govern. Uh, but this math doesn't work out. The other really interesting thing about about this is their lack of understanding about basic economics. So Biden said it costs zero dollars. That's like saying when I go buy a cup of coffee just because I paid for it, that it doesn't cost anything. But of course it costs something. Look, I, I think what this bill really boils down to is straight up bribery for for the progressive agenda, for the progressive activists, and trying to bribe the American people. And tell you what, because of this bill, you might need those bribes because it's going to kill your jobs and it's going to kill your wages. Yeah. What is in the 3.5? They're not even asking Republicans to sign on. It's so ridiculous, and they know it's antithetical to what their party stands for. $3 billion for tree equity. They want to outlay saplings in all communities so everyone gets the advantages of having a tree. I'm not kidding. $25 million on anti-discrimination and bias training in the healthcare industry. $25 million. You can't pick that up on a webinar? $79 billion, and this is the scariest, for the IRS to step up enforcement of tax laws. First stop, Joe Biden. You owe $500,000 last year on $13 million in income. So pay it. Meanwhile, they're going to go out and they're going to harass and rattle the cages of families across America Already, let alone with $79 billion more. Remember Lois Lerner? How did that work out? Let's target the Tea Party. Why? Because the Tea Party destroyed Barack Obama's midterm election. $7.5 billion for Civilian Climate Corps. What is that? We're going to hire people to go out and tell people to get out of your gas car and buy an electric car? Tell people to walk, no longer take a bus? I don't know. What are you going to do? Check people's solar panels for cracks? $7.5 billion. This seems like a scary militia that they're forming. $7 billion for post office electric cars. $5 billion for e-cars for the federal government. Okay, we're paying people to do something they don't want to do, and then we're going to set up an infrastructure for electric cars. They're pressuring the moderates, Manchin, Cinema, and Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy. Manchin has a houseboat he stays on in Washington. Evidently, there were protesters in front of it, kayaks around it. I'm not kidding. And the Democratic Party in Arizona is picketing around Senator Cinema. Why? Because she's in a purple state, 
and she realizes it's got to be a rationality to keeping her seat. The bigger question is, where's Mark Kelly? I thought he wanted to keep his seat in the Senate. He took John McCain's seat. So I think he won that seat, but it's up next year. This guy's supposed to be somewhat middle of the road to represent Arizona. He's chosen to be as left-wing as left can be. So next we'll talk about what we expect to hear in the military hearing, as well as what is happening with the mandate mania in New York, San Francisco, Massachusetts in particular. They are telling people, get vaccinated or you are fired in hospitals, at police stations around the country, and by Friday in New York City, in schools. Really? In Joe Biden's America, there is no sanity. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The unvaccinated teachers, they're not conspiracy theorists. They don't think the government is out to get them. There's a lot of different reasons why unvaccinated teachers don't want to take the vaccine. If I told you the amount of pregnant women crying on the phone to me in the last week, the amount of women nursing, the amount of single mothers that are going to lose their job because they don't want to take the vaccine, it it would be shocking. I'm, I'm telling you, Tucker, I'm not exaggerating. The numbers are in the thousands that have called me in the last two weeks. And this mandate affects 28,000 people. And the mandates to New York City in particular, it's coming to a city near you. Louis Girolamino Girolamino joins us. He's uh, joined Tucker last night. He's an attorney representing teachers who, as of Friday at 5 o'clock, are all going to get fired if they didn't get vaccinations. And there's going to be a rule that they can't get unemployment. Is that unbelievable? They can't get unemployment. They've been working hard, obviously, through tough situations. And they're going to be replaced by substitutes. They swear they have enough of them. But believe me, substitutes are substitutes for a reason. Some are just breaking in, but they don't have the experience. They don't. The student will lose again. And for the most part, you have over the threshold that the president talked about, 75 percent to get herd immunity. They're up around 90 percent already. Leave them alone. Now, when it comes to what's happening today, hospital employees, about 72,000, have not been fully vaccinated. They will either leave their job 
or will leave their job or have left already, that 16% of the 450,000 hospital employees are basically fired and told you cannot collect unemployment unless you're full-time vaxxed. Now, it's roughly, it's probably higher, 84% of hospital workers are fully vaxxed. You're talking about people, for the most part, that are out there on the front lines during a pandemic the scientists couldn't even figure out, and now you're going to be the the first to fire them? I mean, in three days, you're going to be firing teachers. In Massachusetts, they're firing cops. They're just resigning ahead of time. And now listen to this governor, who I knew nothing about as lieutenant governor before, but she looks like a real beauty. Uh, Listen to her talk about how God wants you to get the vaccine, cut 18. But you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love but to care about each other enough to say, please get vaccinated because I love you. I want you to live. Yeah, right. Thanks for that, uh, Reverend. The governor wants everyone to get vaccinated. But in the meantime, if not, you're fired. I love that benevolence. I wonder if you're fired is in the Bible at all. I have to reread it. Maybe I'll start with the Old Testament. I'll get back to you at the end of the show. Meanwhile, it's not just staying with hospital workers. It's not just staying with teachers. What about the NBA? So if you're a player and you come into town and you want to play indoors like basketball is played and you're Kyrie Irving and that's your home city of Brooklyn, you can't play because you're not vaccinated. Listen to just a, a cut from him yesterday talking about what's he's, what he's going to do now. Cut 19. Bro, honestly, I, I like to keep that stuff private. I just uh, would love to just keep that private and, um, you know, handle it the right way with uh, my team. Hey, now's the time. Sports is telling everybody what's wrong with society. We want to make it more equal. We want to speak up. Two national anthems in the NFL. Uh, NBA, Black Lives Matter written on the field. Now time to lead the public and do what's right. Have the NBA say, it's up to you whether you should get an inoculation, not only for COVID-19, but for everything from here on in. Steph Curry has a situation. He's a leader on the Golden State Warriors, maybe the best player in the league. He's got Andrew Wiggins on the team. Andrew Wiggins doesn't get vaccinated. He had a religious exemption, and now they nullified it in San Francisco. Cut 21. We've all, you know, made decisions that you feel like are right for you and your family and and whatever the case is, so... This is no different whether you agree with him or not. Um, we have to let it play out. And we'll see how that plays out. I think it's going to play out with a lot of controversies because the uh, players' union were approached in the summer, I think it was, or in June, and they said, hey, listen, can you just mandate vaccinations for everybody? Uh, for example, the New York Knicks are vaccinated, but they weren't mandated by the NBA, 100%, by the way. So they're 100% vaccinated. So at least that's one problem they won't have. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The rest is, uh, well, hopefully they get the right coach. But now in the NBA, what are you going to do? 85% vaccinated to come into town to, to play Golden State. There's a problem. Come in town to play the Knicks or Nets. There's a problem. What are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to have any problem in Miami, tell you that. Orlando, 
Absolutely, because you got a governor with some sensibility about him. But there's confusing messages out there, and these mandates just create anger in our population. Now, I saw a poll last week. Uh, 54, 56 percent of the American public think there should be mandates on on vaccines. Okay, just so you know, it's not a theory to have a slippery slope. It's the first. So the Delta variant didn't need a special vaccine, but maybe the next one does. Now they're going to mandate that. Soon they're going to mandate boosters. And if you're a parent, grandparent, and they say the vaccine is now available for five-year-olds and up, okay, and I want my kid to get it. Well, then your kid's banned from school or ostracized. How are you going to feel about that when it comes to kids, not Democrat or Republican, kids? Because that's what's coming. If you don't stand up and speak out of people to get sensible about it and stop creating enemies. When we come back, Alan West. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Unfortunately, comprehensive immigration reform has consistently gotten stuck, uh, partly because we can't get enough Republicans to support it. What happened you know, at the Texas border is a painful reminder that we don't have this right yet. And you can understand Americans seeing those images coming out of the border right now, how it's just, it's very difficult to it's, see. It, it is, it, it is to heartbreaking, watch. and it is, I think, one of those situations in which if you have a system that overall is dysfunctional, you are going to get episodes in which what's happening right in front of you is something that nobody wants. That is President Obama rambling on about his new library that's opening up. And he did deport a lot of people, but he never secured the border. He never provided the funding to build any type of barrier. I don't care what it is. If you don't want a wall, I don't know why you wouldn't. I saw the the way it looks. It does not look bad for the ranchers. They want the protection. A lot of it's natural. I still don't understand what the problem is. Then they found a uh, slotted fence. I think that is fine. It was effective, but they just stopped doing it. And don't act like, well, we got to do comprehensive. It's such an insult. First, you got to secure the border. Then anything's possible. The rest is debatable. So if you secured the border, you would wipe out any objective Republicans had. And I'm all for, through the bright processes, making it easier to become go from a green card holder to a citizen, our first-round draft picks hanging out in Stanford and University of Chicago. Why are we sending them back to their countries, have them stay here and, and you know, build the next apple? Nothing's wrong with that. But until you secure the border, you're never going to get a Republican behind it. It's Lieutenant Colonel Allen West lives it. He uh, was running the GOP in Texas, been the resident for a while. He now wants to be the governor there. And he feels the frustration. The whole nation feels it, but not like a Texan. Colonel, welcome back. What do you think about President Obama's reaction? Well, I think he's uh, delusional. And also, he was the one that stopped the construction on the border wall during his administration. And he fudged numbers. I mean, a lot of people say he was uh, high on deportations. But what he was doing, he was counting, uh, turning people around at the border as a deportation. Uh, That's a completely different thing. 
So, look, right now what you have is the Biden administration, the progressive socialist left, they are implementing their agenda. They wanted an open borders policy. They are doing it unconstitutionally. And furthermore, they have been told by the Supreme Court is to reinstate the remain in Mexico uh, policy, which they're not doing. So the people here in Texas, and I was down on the border last week. I just uh, was down here in Hill Country uh, last night. They're frustrated. They're angry. When they looked at Mayorkas on Fox News Sunday, and he's just throwing out ten, maybe twelve, maybe fifteen thousand. When we know that there's another caravan of Haitians and others who are trying to uh, come and gain access into the state of Texas, into America, folks want it done. They want it fixed. They want action. They don't want any more letter writing or begging for permission. So listen to Mayorkas ripped the Trump administration's policies, even though, and by the way, there's this pass. Uh, that is allowing tens of thousands to come through between Panama and Colombia. What do they have in common? They're both allies of the U.S. Can you possibly get Harris to even pick up the phone and put the hammer down on these countries? You know what we did for Colombia? We helped gut out their terrorists, their narcs, and their gangs in their hills and all these organizations. Colombia would do anything for us. Tell them, crack down now. Put incentives in there for aid, and that'll begin to help us at the border. But listen to him yesterday, cut 31. To say, you know, loosening uh, enforcement, I don't know that that is the framing that I would use. What I would, um, wh- what I would say is we are implementing um, fairness and justice uh, in the interior enforcement um, architecture of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, after four years uh, of a regime that would not be characterized uh, by those uh, two terms. <laughs> Fairness and justice. Ugh. I mean, what's, what's fair for the people of Texas who are seeing their property being destroyed? Where's the justice for the people here in Texas along the border who are afraid to go out at night? Their children are afraid to go out and play on their own ranches or, or you know, go for walks and things of this nature. What is fair about, you know, aiding and abetting human and sex trafficking and a drug trafficking crisis and a public health crisis? What is fair and just about telling people here in the state of Texas or anywhere in America that they have to get a jab in the arm or else they'll lose their job? But you just allow 15,000 people to enter this country legally? didn't stick them in the arm. So this guy has no credibility. And, and again, he is just part and parcel of the problem. Think about when you had Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, getting on the phone, calling these other countries, saying, let's work together, let's fix this problem, let's come up with a solution. And now you've got Anthony Blinken, and this guy's a walking disaster, Secretary of State. This administration is inept, it is incompetent, and it is, uh, without a doubt, supporting the, the the decimation of this constitutional republic and the undermining of our representative democracy by allowing this flood of illegal immigrants. Do you realize they say uh, there's a huge percentage that are coming across ill? You're, you're firing yeah. nurses in New York City for not getting vaccinated, but you're letting 250,000 a month come across our border uh, we don't know where they're from. We don't know what they did. We don't know if they're positive for the coronavirus. And a lot of them are rejecting a free vaccine shot. But you're going to crack down yes. on teachers, cops, and medical workers? 
Yes, and think about what you live up there in New York, and now the governor of New York is talking about activating the National Guard to backfill the medical positions where they're losing nurses and, and other medical professionals. They're creating a crisis in and of itself by violating individuals' rights, freedoms, and liberties. If you don't have control of your body, what do you have control of? And we don't need a president that thinks he can stand up there and, and dictate and mandate to the American people what goes into their bodies. I know what's best for my body, not Joe Biden, and the exact same thing with uh, other Americans, and especially Texas. And when you see what we have seen, where people are flooding into this country, not being mandated to do anything, not even caring about our laws that protect our sovereignty, uh, this is very disconcerting. This is a constitutional crisis, Brian. Uh, listen, Colonel, I, I agree with you. I, I've never, you know, we were in New York and I'm going upstate every weekend. My daughter's got uh, soccer. Both of them have soccer games, traveling, wherever I go. It's as if we're on the border. People want to talk about the border. They, they are so disturbed by it and worried that this is not going to stop. 1.5 million coming across, and they see the problem with mandating it here, stopping me from going to a restaurant or a gym, at the same time letting everybody in and getting ridiculed uh, and ridiculing Republicans for not doing comprehensive immigration reform? I mean, it's idiocy. But well, I want to know, Colonel, what would you do tomorrow, knowing the Constitution, knowing what's federal responsibility and state responsibility? What does Colonel West do as Governor West? The National Guard, the Texas National Guard is on the border, and we put our boots right there on the shores of the Rio Grande, and you're not coming across. We give our constitutional officers, which are our sheriffs in those uh, counties, the ability to uh, deputize uh, Texas citizens to be part of their uh, force and also give them the ability to arrest, detain, and deport since the federal government's not doing it. We go after the cartels by designating them a transnational narco-criminal terrorist organization. We go after the banks. We go after the people that are selling them stash houses. We go after anyone that is working with the cartels here in the state of Texas. And we these uh, organizations like Catholic Charities and others who are aiding and abetting illegal immigration by processing these people, putting them on buses, putting them on planes, we revoke their licenses to operate in Texas. It's time for action. It's not time for any more letter writing or begging the Biden administration for attention or, or care or concern. They don't care. So the state of Texas needs to step up. So, Colonel, I know you can understand this. And right now we're watching opening statements, what I think is a critical hearing with uh, Generals McKenzie, Austin, and Milley. They're going to try to explain themselves in front of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and I, I'd be very heartened to see if Democrat to see if Democrats were just as angry and embarrassed by what has taken place in Afghanistan, the death, destruction, and the embarrassment and the and the anxiety of leaving ten percent of our force behind, uh, including allies, green card holders, and actual citizens. And then I wake up to this story. And I got it from another service member who's in the House, similar to you. And it is mm -hmm. a Marine officer who blasted yeah. leaders, Lieutenant Colonel. And yeah. in his name is Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, a Marine officer whose meteoric rise to Internet fandom came across because he resigned. He said, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I, my, my commanders have to be accountable. And therefore, I am quitting and the Marines. Then they put a gag order on him and asked him not to speak. He did anyway, so they put him in jail. So the guy that leaves $85 billion of our of our of military hardware in Afghanistan not in jail, 
the the group that leaves uh, the Taliban to provide our security for the Kabul airport that eventually would be would give birth to a suicide bomber who would kill 13 of our people and wound 20 more not in jail. The ones that left 10% of our American citizens behind Afghanistan not in jail, but the colonel that had integrity to speak up and resign goes to jail. No, this is an upside-down world. I'm very disturbed about the fact that that lieutenant colonel is sitting in the brig in Count Lejeune, North Carolina. Think about this. I mean, every one of us can agree that we don't want to see a politicization of our military. We don't want to see, you know, junior officers, middle-level officers speaking out against the chain of command. But when the chain of command is not following their oath to the Constitution, which is what we all took a note to, then these, you know, individuals have the right to stand up and speak out. Uh, and you just you just laid it all out. Remember that they said that it was a righteous kill, this drone strike in Afghanistan. Well, now we come to find out they killed seven children. So why isn't it, you know, any of these guys being held accountable? Why are they in jail? Why aren't they being convicted of a, of a war crime? And so when you have this politicized elite uh, growing into the United States military and the senior level of leadership, you're going to find more lieutenant colonels, majors, or senior enlisted, you know, master chiefs, sergeant majors, they're going to be speaking out against this because they don't want to have their lives dependent, as we saw those 13 servicemen who lost their lives, another 18 wounded. They don't want people like Millie and uh, and McKenzie right. and others making decisions that affect their lives. So they have the right to speak up. So his dad says he described his son as a proud American who loves the Marines and has served proudly for 17 years. He's asking for the same accountability that is expected of him and his men. Uh, the younger Scheller published his first video the same day the suicide bomber uh, killed 13. Uh, Scheller said in the video that he had a personal relationship with one of the fallen service members, but he did not elaborate. And now they have him in the brig until he gets his trial. Why does he have to have a trial? He wants out, let him out. Number one. Number two, General Milley better not be hush-hush uh, and pragmatic because he was speaking of blue streak to Bob Woodward to tell what his version yeah. of the story was when Donald Trump was president calling up as a hero that he makes himself out to be to his counterpart in China, saying, don't worry about democracy, I got these things under control, and kissing butt to Nancy Pelosi, saying, I agree with everything you said. So if you're going to talk to Bob Woodward, you better talk and be candid today to the Senate Armed Services Committee. Final thought? No, you're absolutely right. And I would say the first question is, why is that Marine Lieutenant Colonel sitting in the brig? Why don't you send down an order to have him released? He is uh, forfeiting his, his career. 17 years, United States military. He does not want to continue on to 20. He's saying that I'm resigning. Then just let the guy resign. Process him out. There does need to be a trial. There does not need to be any pretrial confinement. What are you going to pretrial confinement for? What? Because he's speaking his mind. He's speaking out against the failures of the senior level leadership of the military. This is very disconcerting. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to affect military readiness because right now, who would want to be in the military? Who would want to join the military when you have people like Millie, McKenzie, and Austin there at the head? I agree. Uh, Colonel Allen West, uh, how do we, if people want to support your run for governor, where do they go? Well, I appreciate that, Brian. It is West, the number four, Texas.com. West4Texas.com, and we did a little chalk talk video about uh, diagramming out how you secure a border. So please feel free to uh, download that. All right, great. Uh, Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care, Brian. All right, we're going to go in and out of these hearings, see what uh, is significant that comes out. I wonder if it's going to be any mea culpa. They should be. If they decide to give the Heisman to these questioners, like Anthony Blinken did, 
uh, I will have even less respect for them than I have right now. Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The path that led to this moment was paved with years of mistakes from our catastrophic pivot to Iraq to our failure to handle Pakistan's support for the Taliban to the flawed Doha agreement signed by President Trump. The members of this committee and the witnesses before us have overseen chapters of a war that spanned four presidential administrations, both Democratic and Republican, and we owe the American people an honest accounting. So that's Senator Jack Reed, and he is the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. The ranking member is Jim Imhoff. Jim Imhoff. So what Jack Reed said, wow, what a great, uh, you know, it was great getting 120,000 people out of the last minute. Sure. But that was with, that's when you give people a mission, they'll actually do it. But when you have leadership and an overall battle plan, that's the issue. The way we left is the issue. And sure enough, Secretary of Defense Austin is only focusing how they exceeded expectations when we brought everybody in, the 5,700, back into country in order to use the Kabul airport to evacuate people we don't even know and weren't able to screen for the most part until we got them to a third country. They did a great job. Yes. And that I mentioned that we killed 10 innocent people and that a car bomber killed 13 Americans, and he says dozens, over 100 Afghans. And we knew it was coming 12 hours before, unable to stop it with that great over-the-horizon security. Look, I understand in war that things happen. Nobody wants to kill innocent civilians, but it amazes me when you see the pattern of miscalculations how this was happening up until the last second and how he sits there as Secretary of Defense and feels so far incapable of saying what brought us to that moment where we needed to fly 5,700 back into a, a tiny airport to get them out. How he gave up seven military bases and three CIA bases in order to get out because the Afghan troops were unable to hold off the Taliban for 10 days. Incredible. Now, the other cut we have is Secretary of Defense Austin. Listen to him, his op- some of his opening remarks, which, by the way, he's still in the middle of. The reason that our troops were able to get there so quickly is because we planned for just such a contingency. We began th- thinking about the possibilities of a non-combatant evacuation as far back as this spring. Indeed, by late April, two weeks after the president's decision, military planners had crafted a number of evacuation scenarios. In mid-May, I ordered Central Command to make preparations for potential NEO. And two weeks later, I began pre-positioning forces in the region to include three infantry battalions. And on the 10th of August, we ran another tabletop exercise around a non-combatant evacuation scenario. We wanted to be ready, and we were. In fact, by the time that the State Department called for a NEO, leading elements of the 24th Marine Expeditionary Unit were already on the ground in Kabul. And before that weekend was out, another 3,000 or so ground troops had arrived, including elements of the 82nd Airborne. But let's be clear. Those first two days were difficult. We all watched with alarm the images of Afghans rushing the runway and our aircraft. We all remember the scenes of confusion outside the airport. But within 48 hours, our troops restored order and process began to take hold. All right, number one, Secretary Austin says he did a tabletop August 10th. 
You didn't predict this would happen. You said no one would predict it would happen. Don't tell me people were ready. Don't tell me that leaving Bargram, you thought that you were going to lose Cabo at the same time said you were ready because you weren't ready. I appreciate everyone getting in so quick and getting so many people out. We just don't know who they are and why we didn't get everyone out. Don't forget, I'm on primetime tonight at 7. More on this. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Tonight, I'll be on hosting Primetime 2 uh, at 7 p.m. Hope you can join me. Uh, and uh, meantime, we have a recap of what's happening today. Keep in mind, too, I have a book coming out that I think you'll love, President and Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul, uh, which we're still trying to save today. We have now something I've been waiting for for quite a long time after the frustration of Secretary of State Blinken just coming out with blah answers to big-time questions where he inadequately tried to explain himself in our evacuation from Afghanistan. Now we have General Milley followed, uh, following General Secretary of Defense Austin giving their opening statements about why we left, why we left the way we did, why it happened. Secretary of Defense Austin just sat there and talked about how great it was on the evacuation, how admirable our people acted uh, and looked in the big picture. And General Milley is basically saying play by play why this was not my decision. I did it, but that's not my recommendation. I find that very interesting. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There were assessments that ranged initially from one to two years to, uh, to you know, several months. It was very difficult to predict with accuracy. Nobody predicted that, you know, the government would fall in 11 days. Yeah, uh, a lot of people did. You just weren't listening. Explain yourself. That's what General Milley, McKenzie, and Austin are doing now as they eventually will be grilled about leaving $85 billion in military equipment behind, misrepresenting the strength of the Afghan army, uh, allowing, uh, droning 10 innocent people, and leaving hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans and our allies behind in that country. Nothing they can say would be adequate, but I am anxious to hear what they have to say. Number two. You cannot just swap people out in the hospital setting. Uh, nurses have a lot of experience and there's institutional wisdom and you learn the policies and procedures and emergency protocols. So there will be some unintended harm from just swapping out personnel. Yeah, and that's what's happening. Now it's getting serious. Ridiculous, oppressive vax mandates may cost hospitals, thousands of workers, medical professionals, their jobs in places like San Francisco, New York, and Massachusetts as cops are also being forced to be vaccinated. Many are choosing not to be. And in three days, teachers, the same decision. It seems in President Biden's America, there's no room for sanity. Number one. It is zero price tag on the debt. We're paying. We're going to pay for everything we spend. It's going to be zero. This is a zero dollar bill because it's going to be completely paid for. The reconciliation package would cost zero dollars. Uh, that is a joke. Uh, spending Palooza is causing friction and has Joe Biden spouting fiction as he tweets out the reconciliation package will cost us nothing. Either that or five trillion. I don't really know the difference. Do you? 
protesters are pushing moderate Democrats to act unilaterally and just forget about rationality in representing their people. So far, Manchin Cinema and Congresswoman Murphy of Florida have not budged. Uh, with me uh, right now to talk about this is General Bulldog. Uh Also at the bottom of the hour, I should say at about 50, we'll join, we'll simulcast an FBN. Right now, these hearings are going on. We're, gonna, we're going to talk about them on the fly. The Brigadier General is an Army veteran, served 10 tours in Afghanistan, and a U.S. Senate candidate in New Hampshire. Uh, General, welcome. Well, thank you, Brian. It's great to be on your show, and my best to your listeners. Yeah, and good luck with your run. We need people like you in the Senate. So I'm watching some of this, and I'm trying to make heads or tails of it. And I just first thing, General Milley's made it clear that he recommended to Trump to keep 45, 2,500 to 4,500. He gave it that recommendation to Esper. Esper kept 2,500. In November, uh, with 5,600 NATO forces. In November, there was briefly an order, get everybody out. That was reversed the next week, at which time it brought us right to inauguration, where Milley recommended we have a presence. That presence disappeared, and we know the cataclysmic reaction. How do you feel about the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying what I just said? Well, you know, here, here's my first, uh, my first, uh, you know, impression of what what he said. Of course, he made those recommendations, uh, and if he did make those recommendations, uh, it was based off of hopefully some analysis coming from his commander inside uh, Afghanistan, General Scott Miller. However, um, he did not do what he should have done at the end of the day. And that was put his star and career on the line uh, to protect not only our mission, but our allies, our Afghan partners and the Afghan people from the Taliban, al-Qaeda and uh, ISIS-K. This is this is just a bunch of excuses that I'm hearing right now. I'm watching the same thing. It's like he's like a puppet. Someone's got his, their hand up his back, and he's just talking, talking, talking. He's showing no emotion, no passion, uh, no compassion. Uh, and, you know, ultimately I've been saying all week long leading up to this that really what we needed to hear first and foremost was an apology for not doing their job, accountability for not doing their job, and a public resignation. All three of those gentlemen up there today have let down the very service members that they were talking about at the beginning of each of their their talks. Now, General McKenzie has yet to speak, but he looks like he's very disinterested uh, and, and that he's falling asleep. Uh, so he doesn't even look like he even cares about these, his mannerisms, that he even cares about these hearings. These are three senior leader failures. And they can point their fingers at Joe Biden all they want. Who is to blame? Yes. But I'm telling you right now that every single retired general officer and admiral should be standing up right now and asking for accountability, apology, and resignations. These guys, did, at the end of the day, did not do their job. And this idea, Brian, about, oh, we didn't see it coming, we didn't know that the the, the the security forces would collapse. That's baloney. From 2005 to 2021, assessments were coming up saying they, that those security forces couldn't survive by themselves with, um, you know, without 
U.S. or coalition air support, and we took it away from them. And then they made excuses on why they couldn't protect Bagram Airfield. Let me tell you something. A withdrawal is a combat operation. You can't separate the two. So suggesting that, oh, we can't put combat troops in to facilitate a withdrawal is absolute nonsense because it's a combat operation and you have to put combat troops in in order to protect the withdrawal. They, even if they did give the president all this advice, they still executed it poorly. And then when they were told to execute it without the proper resources, they failed to stand up for the very men and women that they talked about uh, at the beginning of their uh, of their uh, statements. So this this right now is an absolute show, a show to protect Biden, a show to continue to deceive the American people and really let down our service members. These three men should not be general officers or the secretary right. in our military today. I'll tell you what, first off, um, they seem to this is the, the method. Uh, they're going to uh, Senator Reid is saying things like we never should have went to Iraq or we should have put more resources there. We never made deals with Pakistan. OK, fine. That's a different hearing. We have to find out now. Keep this focused. We have to find out what happened this over the last three or four weeks. Why would you ever leave someone behind? What do you mean nobody ever thought that they would fall like that at the same time telling me <laughs> we had tabletop drills and uh, gaming out what could possibly take place, bragging that you got 5,600 quickly into Kabul, and they, those men and women were fantastic. But if you could do 5,600 into Kabul, why can't you get into that into a military base? Was that ever brought up? And, and I'll tell you, on top of that, Millie ended with something, as we brought on the air, that said something that trumped everything. Al-Qaeda will be prepared to attack the U.S. within six months, excuse me, 12 to 36 months. They have the capability, and it's a possibility. Right there, you're telling me you failed. You failed. Mm -hmm. And they said they never renounced, the Taliban never renounced al-Qaeda. That's a breach of the six-page deal that the Trump team cut. That would have been enough to say, game over, we can't trust you, you're done. That's right. This would have never happened under President Trump. Remember the research. You know, uh, you know the secretary said the resurgence um, was uh, you know started during the Doha Agreement, and I believe that Senator Inhofe said the same thing. No, this resurgence be- began in 2013 and 2014 when then uh, General Dunford was the commander in Afghanistan, Milley was his three-star commander, and Obama was president. And his his team decided we're going to change strategy. And as soon as they did that, the resurgence started occurring. And so this happened way back in 2014 under a previous administration, which President Biden was the vice president of. And they knew all of this. Um, And then and then, you know, they made a comment. uh, Of course, no other country in the world would have been able to try this. Well, of course. Because it made no sense to do it this way. So no other country would have done it this way. Um, And as I said before, withdrawal is a combat operation. So to suggest that this is not, uh, you know, a combat operation and you don't need to surge forces in to multiple airheads and secure ground to bring people out is absolutely nonsense. And this over horizon crap, 
That's a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of political talk like shock and awe. It doesn't really translate to success on the ground, and it never, ever will. And, oh, by the way, why are we worried about the Taliban, al-Qaeda, and and ISIS, we can go in there and kick their butt on any given Sunday. We can do these type of airlifts on any given Sunday. This is the American military. We can get this done. What we can't do is do it under these type of leaders because they won't allow the American service member to go in there and do their job, do it effectively, do it efficiently, get it done uh, the right way. And that's why these guys got to go. That's why we have to reach deep down into our general officer and admiral ranks and get rid of these guys, or six, 10, 12 months from now, I'm scared. If he made that last statement, these guys aren't prepared to fight and win. They've proved that they can't fight and win. They've been in this war since they were one stars, and we've been losing it because they haven't been listening to people in how to properly fight this enemy. And, and stop Pakistan, General. General, they kept being rearmed and refocused and resting in Pakistan. They were funded yeah. by somebody. Pakistan didn't exactly. fear us. And I know they're diverse and I know it's complicated. I'm willing to. Uh, you could talk over my head all you want. Bottom line is when Car- when that Gahani phone call was exposed to say there's ten to 15,000 being financed through Pakistan, terrorists coming yep. through our border, I need help. Biden balked, and General Milley had a similar conversation. He ignored it. Here's what Milley mm-hmm. just said, and let's listen together. Okay. Top one. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate, or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them. So just to qualify, this is... Uh, Millie talking about the phone call in the Bob Woodward book from Nancy Pelosi and what he did after. I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese, and it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. So... He feels, though, he was doing his job talking directly to the Chinese, his counterpart. Here's the— I, I, oh, go, go ahead. I don't, I don't buy that at all. Uh, Chris Miller has made his statement, I believe, Chris Miller. Um, the president of the United States, uh, you know, didn't know this at the time, you know, President Trump. Um, and, you know, you work directly for the president. You don't go in and undermine the president. You don't, you don't assume— that you take on the mantle and put yourself in the chain of command uh, above the president and between the president and the Speaker of the House. Are you kidding me to go deliver a message to the Chinese? Good. Let the Chinese worry. You know, let them let them, you know, poop their pants. Let them worry. We don't let them worry enough. They're leading us around by the nose economically. Absolutely. Trade-wise. And, and, and General, and, and, and I, I'm up against a break. I could go on with you for uh, two hours and, and hopefully catch up on television to discuss this tomorrow. But quick thing. That would be great. Yeah. So, so General, what would happen if the Chinese have such great intelligence on us and they're so infiltrated in our system? Why would they have the farcical notion that President Trump, who's pulling us out of all these conflicts, would want to do something that no general or president has wanted to do since MacArthur in the 50s, bomb China? Exactly. Why would they think exactly. that? It's crazy. 
It is crazy. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And, you know, this is all political, Brian. They didn't like President Trump. They wanted him out of there. They couldn't operate effectively under him like they did with with, you know, Obama and, and with Biden. They wanted him out. They're playing politics and they need to go. General, uh, so do I. Uh, but it was great getting your analysis and we'll look forward to more as you can take in some of this hearing yourself. I'm sure you'll you'll be fascinated to hear everyone's explanations and who's serious about asking questions. Uh, thanks so yes, much, sir. General uh, Baldick. And he's Thank running you. for Senate seat over in New Hampshire. Good luck, General. Thank you. God bless you. Back at you. one 408 7669 We'll watch more of this. Bring it to you. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion. And my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. So General McKenzie said, don't blame me. I recommended we keep the troops in Afghanistan. Uh, General Milley had a similar uh, prediction. Uh, he said, I had recommendations. Cut. Uh, which cut do you want to go with there when he talks about the recommendations he made? Well, I'll tell you what he made. He said, I wanted between 2,500 uh, troops, 5,600 NATO troops. He said we would have been fine when on Inauguration Day. That was the status. And Joe Biden changed uh, what he wanted to do. Let's listen to Milley. Later that same day, on 8 January, Speaker of the House Pelosi called me to inquire about the president's ability to launch nuclear weapons. I sought to assure her that nuclear launch is governed by a very specific and deliberate process. She was concerned and made, very, or made various personal references characterizing the president. I explained to her that the president is the sole nuclear launch authority, and he doesn't launch them alone and that I am not qualified to determine the mental health of the President of the United States. There are processes, protocols, and procedures in place, and I repeatedly assured her that there is no chance of an illegal, unauthorized, or accidental launch. So he was referring to a phone call with Nancy Pelosi, but he ended that phone call, according to Bob Woodward's book, with, I agree with everything you're saying. Okay, fantastic. Sounds like you got a political agenda there, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley. And it sounds like if you're worried about people's mental status, if you look at just pure actions, I think it's this president you should worry about, and he should be worried about you. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think the key senator uh, that we missed, frankly, uh, uh, we had some indicators, but we didn't have the full wholesome assessment of leadership, morale, and will. There were some units, and I don't want to 
uh, say negative things about these guys, the 60, 70,000 of the Afghan service that, that were killed in action over the last 20 years. Uh, and many units did fight uh, at the very end. But the vast majority put their weapons down and melted away in a very, very short period of time. I think that has to do with will, uh, leadership, um, and I think we still need to try to figure out exactly why that was. And I, I have some suggestions, but I'm uh, not settled on them yet. But we clearly missed that. I think one of the key factors we missed it for was we pulled our advisors off three years ago. And when you pull the advisors out of the units, you can never, you no longer can assess things like leadership and will. We can count all the planes, trucks, and automobiles, and cars, and machine guns, and everything else. We can count those from space and all the other kind of intel assets. But you can't measure the human heart with a machine. You got to be there. Number one, you were their leaders. You were their captains and lieutenants. I even know that. Number two, just because you don't have full-time advisors there doesn't mean you can't send someone into the unit to to talk about their resolve. Number three, you knew when when they told you or you told them you're pulling back the air cover because of Ambassador Kalazad's ridiculous six-page deal that they were going to be suffering because you were their air cover for 20 years. I mean, come on, how much you, how much surprise are we pretending that you had? So as we point out by Senator Roger Wicker, and this is happening right now in front of the Senate Armed Services Committee, it's Millie McKenzie and uh, Austin. Roger Wicker says on July 8th, the President of the United States said the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan is unlikely. Not only was that proven to be not true, there's an excellent chance he knew when he said it, it wasn't true. Maybe Trump has January 6th. Biden's got January, July 8th. He said we will not abandon Afghanistan. We already did. He said we will not leave any Americans behind. They are still there. As General Milley continues to take some questions. So at the very least, he was asked a question from Roger Wicker uh, Wicker, uh, of Missouri. He said, hey, listen, you got to say our credibility is damaged, right? And he said, damage is a word I would use. Austin says, not really. I talked to my counterparts. It's really no damage. Come on. You didn't inform NATO that you were pulling out? The way you did it, they left their allies and citizens behind, too. They were the ones who were able to leave the base and get their citizens back. You would not let them go back. And now you're saying our credibility is not damaged and you want to focus on the evacuation of 5,600? Well, with that, the drone strike that killed seven kids and the— Suicide bomber that killed 13 Americans and wounded uh, 20 more. So here is General McKenzie. Well, we already heard from General McKenzie, right? Here's General Austin about who is actually left behind for Americans. Believe it or not, this guy doesn't know. Cut 50. I personally don't believe that there are 4,000 American citizens uh, uh, still left in Afghanistan, but I cannot confirm or or deny that, uh, Senator. So don't worry yourself about it. I know you got a lot on your mind. You know, we're not, you're not focusing on other countries. The Secretary of Defense, who would help along with the state to tell Panama and uh, Colombia, stop allowing all these immigrants to come through your country to ours. That would work. But it's not like you're doing that, General Secretary of Defense Austin. Here's more from Milley. On our credibility, cut 52. I think that our credibility... Um with allies and partners around the world and with adversaries uh, is being intensely reviewed by them to see which way this is going to go. And I think that damage is one word that could be used, yes. Yeah, uh, damaged is a good word. So they want to, Austin wants to focus on flights. Millie says, I recommended all these other things and 
Um, no one listened. Mackenzie said something very similar. On the area of going behind Trump's back, talking with Nancy Pelosi and, and governing the sanity of Donald Trump, he's taken those questions, but not from Republicans yet. I look forward to getting that. Just an absolute joke, and it's so uh, it is so aggravating to hear these guys go around these questions and see these Democrats give them these layups. I want you to hear what, what President Biden told George Stephanopoulos when it came to getting our troops out and when it came to the recommendation to pull out. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Okay. General McKenzie, cut 49. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion. And my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. Okay, uh, I'm not going to tell you what I told the president because I'm not allowed. But I'm going to tell you what I told the president because this is what I did. So either McKenzie, I know nothing about him. He's got a long track record in camouflage. Those were his recommendations. General Milley said something similar. The president just talked to George Stephanopoulos. When people want to say that, that, that the former senator turned vice president and president. this ethical guy. Uh, he's one of the guys. He's blue-collar Joe. He's going to tell you if he makes a mistake. If he doesn't, he'll admit to it. This guy, over and over again, has been totally inadequ- uh, inaccurate, dare I say lying, from his public statements to the answers to his questions to his follow-up interviews when he had a chance to rehearse and go over with, with the communications experts, but he chooses not to. So uh, in about a few minutes, we're going to have a chance to actually go on with Stuart Varney and talk more about this. Right now, we're hearing some questions from the senator, uh, a Republican senator, who is able to ask some questions to General Milley um, regarding what happened. I care less about what happened with the Pelosi call and more about what's happening in Afghanistan because it's still ongoing. The also thing that I pointed out with General Bullock, who was a brigadier general, had 10 tours in Afghanistan, that General Milley in his opening statement said that he recommended 2,500 troops and uh, there was 2,500 troops and 5,600 NATO uh, forces behind on Inauguration Day. And he recommended that stay that way. Uh, when it, in the end he didn't, he said he couldn't hold on to any of the forts and the bases because he didn't have enough guys. So he was asked if the tally, he also said the Taliban never renounced al-Qaeda. That is a three, that's a five-alarm fire. If you want to know why Secretary of State Pompeo and others said any time there was a breach in the agreement, it was null and void and there would be attacks and reprisals along the way. That would have been one of them. I need you to re- renounce al-Qaeda and say they're not going to come back in the government. When they wouldn't, the deal would have been off. But that wasn't going to stop 
President Biden, who said in 2008, we got to get out of here, Mr. Uh, President Obama, don't let the military roll you. So General Milley concludes his remarks by saying um, al-Qaeda will have the capability of attacking in the U.S. between 12 and 36 months. There's nothing more damning than saying something like that because we didn't go in there to to, to destroy ta- the Taliban. They were in our way. We went in there to get al-Qaeda, and when they wouldn't give up al-Qaeda, we went through the Taliban and blew them up for 20 years and never attacked the the resources that they had in Pakistan and other Sunni nations around the country or Sunni groups around the country and foundations, whatever they are, these terrorist organizations that find a way to finance al-Qaeda after bin Laden was blown up. So that was us. Uh, Here's a little of General Milley with Republican Senator Deb Fisher. If I may, Senator, I can tell you with 100 percent certainty that the military voice was heard and it was considered. It was considered but not followed, correct? We have uh, presidents are elected for reasons. They make strategic decisions. um, I would say this this committee, General, has um, always stressed that commanders on the ground should be listened to. Would you agree with that? I would, and I would tell you they were listened to. I think there's a difference between us having an opportunity to have a voice, and uh, and I think it's very important uh, that the military has a voice, but I firmly believe in swing control of the military, and I am required and the military commanders are required to give our best military advice, but the decision makers are not required in any manner, shape, or form to follow that advice. No, they are not, and I agree with you about the civilian control of this country. But I think it is also important to realize when we continue to see missteps by an administration that's costing lives. Senator Fisher's 100 percent right. And I remember a couple of weeks ago when in passing, when they were asked about General Milley and President Biden said, I have my 100 percent, he has my 100 percent support and confidence. I wonder if he has it now, because if he is telling the truth right now, He's saying his advice was ignored, and Biden is 100% responsible for the results. Ryan Kilmeade Show, back in a moment. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to be bringing this back in a second. Senator Tom Cotton served in the, uh, in the infantry. He's friends with Millie, or at least they have a relationship. He's questioning him right now. We'll be sure to bring that back. It's going to get very direct and very certain. The one thing I would say of this testimony right now, uh, Biden acted alone. General McKenzie made it clear these are my recommendations. Uh, Millie's made it clear these are my recommendations. Secretary of Defense Austin, totally compliant and supplicant, will not admit to anything except to say that we did a great job getting people out. So let's listen to Stuart Varney now as we go on Varney and Cuppy in a simulcast. Uh, In a simulcast, that's right, Brian. Yeah, we just caught the tail end of your comment right there. Uh, I'm going to digress for a second, um, uh, uh, Mr. Kilmeade. Uh, I'm going to show you a video. It's from Australia. A man was arrested for leaving his house not wearing a mask. It was smoking a cigarette. Look at this. Roll it. 
He lives a block away. Yeah, but he has no so what do you mean? He has no reason to be here. He doesn't have a valid reason to be out today. He wasn't wearing a face mask. Hold on, he has a face mask in his pocket. He was just smoking a cigarette. He just came to get lunch with me. And the reason I didn't have a mask on because I was having a cigarette. I've got two masks in my pocket. Like, what else do you want me to do? Did you see... Uh, Brian, you saw that. I'd call that a gross overreaction. And I hope to heaven it does not occur here. What do you say? It's not the first time you've been... I've been seeing this video for the last three months, a total lockdown in Melbourne and other yeah. cities. I've never had the privilege of going to Australia, but I always thought that's the place to be if you can't be in America. Exactly. They have no idea how to handle this. They are actually... I watched Scott Morrison on Sunday on Face the Nation, and I think that's his first name. I apologize if it's not the president of the country. And he basically bragged that they did a great job getting on the other side of this variant. Bragging about what? At what cost? You've totally destroyed cities and livelihoods. You told people they can go outside of their house for a certain amount of time. I'd expect that from China, not yeah. from Australia. That's why yeah. they're marching in the streets in France. But in Australia, without any freedom of speech, Second Amendment, you are getting arrested for marching in the streets for freedom. Yeah. So they have to do, I mean, why these, the, the Australians are the most headstrong people I know. I can't believe they're given into this. Yeah, me too. My son's business was really badly affected by this, and he's still locked down. I've got to move on to uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar calling for unvaccinated players in the NBA to be removed from their teams. He says players willing to risk the health and lives of teammates are unable to grasp the seriousness of the situation. What do you think to that? He also says, and I just paraphrase in Rolling Stone, that it plays into the, the stereotype that colored players aren't smart enough to figure out what's good for them. What is he talking about? Some of the smartest people I know, PhDs, are not buying into the vaccine. I got the vaccine. Most people I know did get the vaccine. But for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to decide everyone should get in lockstep, the guy that was protesting at UCLA and changing his name because he didn't like the way society was heading, now all of a sudden the NBA players should get in line or professional athletes should get in line and do what he thinks is the right thing? What happened to him? Kyrie Irving is who he's talking to. Who they got to solve this, Stuart. He can't play a home game in Brooklyn if he's not vaccinated. Good luck. You're paying him something like $20 million not to play home games? Is that going to work out? Or should these athletes take the lead like they did when it came to social activism with Black Lives Matters on the floor and, and decals on the back of their helmets? Should they say, we're going to take a stand for freedom because if I give in to the vaccine now, what's the next thing you're going to demand I put in my body? What do you think is going to happen in a place like New York City where you've got a vaccine mandate for teachers and people in schools that goes into effect this Friday? If you ain't vaccinated, you're out. I suspect there's going to be a lot of teachers who do not go to work. Many of them will be minorities and we'll have a real problem with education, even worse than the problem we've got now. What say you? Stuart, if we had 10% of the population inoculated and the, the country was not realizing uh, that this is actually works, I could see it. But 75% of the country have gotten their first shot. 66% have gotten fully vaccinated. In these schools, in these medical systems in New York, there were over 80%, closer to 90%. These are the people that kept us going and they were hailed as heroes. We're banging pots for them. Now we're firing them in hospitals and teachers, many of which did extraordinary work in tough times, in distancing that didn't need to happen, three and six feet. Now we're saying you're fired by Friday? What kind of new... Is there any nuance in Joe Biden's world, in Governor Cuomo, now Governor Hochul's world, 
Do you know what you're doing to lives? And you know what they're doing? They're preventing them from getting unemployment insurance. Think about yep. this. Yep. You're preventing them from doing it because they're not taking a shot that politicians told you to because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wants me to. Can with, we please, what planet are we on? We're punishing people just as the rate of new infection falls 30%, which I'll get into a bit later. Out of time, Brian, but thanks very much for being with us. Poignant stuff today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Still ahead. So uh, Senator Tom Cotton's taking in some testimony. I think what he's finding out and what we're doing is they get briefed ahead of time. And Tom Cotton's a guy, and like Lindsey Graham and others, with military backgrounds who want to get in deep and in detail with military experts. They go behind the scenes. They do the off-the-record conversation. So they have a foundation for what they're talking about when they talk to me on and off the record or anybody else out there. And he was not quick to jump on Millie during this. And Millie's already made it clear. I made my recommendation, but we were under civilian control. His problem is with what he do with Trump. That's a different issue. But what General Bullock told us... This hour is if this happened, the way they said it happened, with I recommended 2,500 troops, with 5,800 troops who would have been able to hold it off, and it was ignored. You put down your stars and you quit. So I don't know if we have any time to, to hear any uh, Senator Cotton. I guess we don't have enough time because they're longer, uh, longer bites. But this is still happening right now. At a different hour, and we're going to post it, uh, we'll bring some of the Tom Cotton and this testimony back, and I certainly have it at 7. Um, I understand we're under civilian control, but I'll give you this analogy, and sports always tells the story the easiest and best. If I own the Dallas Cowboys, even if I know football, I hire a coach to make the calls. I talk to them after and consult them about what went into it, but I hire experts for a reason. General Biden is not General Biden. He's President Biden. You ignored your generals. You embarrassed America. You hurt our credibility. And now we're getting some of the behind the scenes stuff. And it's even worse than I thought. See you tonight at 7. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to get to this hour. We're watching some riveting uh, testimony. Secretary of Defense uh, Austin, Generals Milley and McKenzie try to basically say, not my idea when it came to leaving Afghanistan the way we did. Thanks. Not my idea to leave people behind. Okay, fine. So it's who? President Biden, you're on your own. I gave him recommendations. I can't share with you my recommendation, but let me tell you what I said. That's really what McKenzie's saying. Uh, at least he's getting direct questions from Tom Cotton, the senator from uh, Senator Fisher, uh, and others. Uh, it seems like even uh, Senator Blumenthal brought up a great point. Who is in charge of getting the rest of the Americans out of Afghanistan? Can you do that? Can you get an Afghanistan evacuation czar? And Jen Secretary Austin essentially said, oh, that's the State Department's job. Does anyone care about the Americans left behind at all? Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There were assessments that ranged initially from one to two years to, uh, to you know, several months. It was very difficult to predict with accuracy 
Nobody predicted that, you know, the government would fall in 11 days. I'm sorry, but I'm sure the war games are not going to play that out. Explain yourself. That's what General Millie McKenzie and Austin are trying to do. We'll bring you the latest. Number two. You cannot just swap people out in the hospital setting. Uh, nurses have a lot of experience and there's institutional wisdom. And you learn the policies and procedures and emergency protocols. So there will be some unintended harm from just swapping out personnel. No kidding. And we're about to experience it as tens of thousands, up to 72,000 hospital workers in New York State are going to be told you're fired, go home, you're not inoculated. Couldn't there have been some nuanced way to get through this? Number one. It is zero price tag on the debt. We're paying. We're going to pay for everything we spend. It's going to be zero. This is a $0 bill because it's going to be completely paid for. The reconciliation package would cost $0. No one believes that. It's unless zero is also equal to $3.5 trillion. The spending palooza is causing friction, and Joe Biden spouts fiction. As he tweets out the reconciliation package of the cost of nothing, it's truly over $5 trillion. And the party that's having the most problems, the Democratic Party with the Democratic Party. With me right now is one of the uh, smartest people out there in the medical community today. Scott Gottlieb, author of Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic. Uh, Doctor, welcome. Congratulations on the book. Uh, I can't believe how much I've forgotten just a year and a half in going through it. But let's just ask you quick about what New York's going through. How concerned are you that 16 percent of the medical uh, the medical community is not vaccinated and that we could be losing up to 70,000 being fired over the next few days or fired already? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm concerned that the medical that there's a large component of the medical community that's not vaccinated. We require vaccinations in the healthcare setting for hepatitis B, for chickenpox, for influenza, to protect our patients. And so I think COVID shouldn't be any different given um, the fact that it's dangerous in the healthcare setting and people can transmit the infection without knowing it. Uh, the fact that we're going to put pressure on the healthcare workforce and potentially lose healthcare workers in New York, that's very concerning. Uh, a lot of the hospitals operate already understaffed, especially when it comes to nursing. So if we see resignations of nurses inside hospitals and other qualified personnel, that's going to be very hard to make up. I suspect there's going to be some kind of grace period. People aren't going to be terminated right away, but eventually um, people could be pressured to leave. And the final point I'll make is that people who lose their jobs because they wouldn't comply with a vaccine mandate, it's unclear to me um, whether or not that's going to qualify as job abandonment. They may not qualify for unemployment insurance as well. So it's going to put uh, it's going to put hardship on the individuals. It is. And I think New York is going out of the way to bar them from getting unemployment. However, why would somebody like a nurse or doctor, orderly or physician assistant choose not to? I mean, you you talk to these people, you see them in the lunchroom. Would, have you heard the PhDs of the world? And there's there's a lot that don't want to get vaccinated. Have you heard good and, and thought to yourself, well, that's a legitimate worry? Look, I haven't I haven't heard a good rationale. I think that there's people who still harbor a perception that this is a new vaccine and they want to they want to see more experience with the vaccine, more data. But the reality is we have a plethora of data with this vaccine. It's we now have two years of data. It's been in hundreds of millions of people, almost four hundred million doses distributed in the United States. It's been extensively studied. The clinical trials with it were the largest clinical trials really undertaken in modern history. And I worked at FDA and, and I hadn't seen a clinical trial larger than the ones that have been done with these COVID vaccines. And so I think people could have confidence in the vaccine. When you talk to healthcare workers, the views are varied. Different people have different reasons why they have reluctance. But the overarching reason among the small component of healthcare workers who are still reluctant is just lack of experience with the vaccine, a perception that it's still a novel vaccine. 
What about the micro uh, myocarditis that we hear about with younger people? See, I know a couple of athletes that took the vaccine, never had it before, and have had this this fluid on the heart or swelling of the heart. Yeah, unclear um, whether or not it's truly vaccine-related. I think that there's a presumption that it probably is. It seems to be something that's manifest largely in young males. Um, so in that age population, you should factor that into how you make risk-benefit assessments. But it, it's not something that's really um, been unearthed across the continuum of people who are reluctant to take the vaccine in healthcare settings. What you're seeing in, in New York is a lot of, you know, older um, healthcare personnel, nurses, sometimes women um, of childbearing age who still have a perception that it hasn't been studied in that setting as well. But the issues around the, the pericarditis, myocarditis is mostly confined to younger males. We're talking to Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Uh, so you say, uh, Doctor, you chronicle how this happened and what you was feasible. Say one of the big stories is that we were not ready for this virus. And if you think about why we were not ready for the virus, is because it wasn't France and England that are giving it to us where you could pick up the phone and you guys had relationships. It seems as though China wasn't telling us what was about to hit us. How much would it have benefited had China come clean on what this virus was? Right. And I talk a lot about this in the book and why we need to get our foreign intelligence agencies more engaged in the global public health mission to actually monitor for emerging infections that could be the spark that lights the flame on the next pandemic. We can't rely on multilateral engagement, people coming together in the World Health Assembly and the World Health Organization holding hands and promising to share information again. We now know that there was information that was obtainable as early as mid-December and probably earlier than that, but certainly based on the public reporting, by mid-December, the Chinese were aware, the Chinese government was aware that there was a novel pathogen spreading a respiratory pathogen. It, samples were being sent off for sequencing, so they knew it was a novel coronavirus. Dozens of samples were being sent off for sequencing. There was a belief by physicians that it was spreading through asymptomatic transmission, and we now know that healthcare workers were getting infected in mid to late December, when healthcare workers get infected with a pathogen, that's a pretty good indication that there's human to human transmission because typically the healthcare workers will get the disease from their patients. All that information was critical. All those facts really weren't um, ascertained until early to mid January. So, a, a full month, we could have had a handle on asymptomatic transmission, um, the fact that it was human to human transmission, the fact that this was a novel coronavirus that had SARS-like features. Those were critical pieces of information that were obtainable certainly weeks earlier, maybe even a month earlier. You talk about trust, and the healthcare community has got to get trust back with the American public, like it or not. Here's some of the contradictions that I think really reflected people and caused friction. For example, Dr. Rochelle Walensky in April, Cut 22. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. If that's true, take off the mask, I'm vaccinated, your problem is your problem. You're vaccinated, you're not vaccinated, live your own life. Is that true? Look, I don't think the issue of trust is that public health officials were wrong. Public health officials were wrong through the course of this this um was this she wrong? i think the issue is excuse me was she wrong can can you if you're vaccinated uh can you get the virus from an unvaccinated person you can but typically you're going to get a more mild infection you're not at risk for i know but that's different outcome. than what she said right but the the issue is the information on which public public health officials were drawing conclusions was imperfect and i think when public health officials conveyed um sort of 
determinations and conclusions to the public, they didn't express the um, the uncertainty. There was a lot of uncertainty all through this crisis. We were in the fog of viral war, but if you look at the public health pronouncements and the guidance that was issued to the public, there was a degree of certainty around it that shouldn't have been because we because exactly. the data was imperfect. But we were we weren't upfront about where we were where we had ambiguity and uncertainty. So everything that came out of public health officials seemed like it was sort of gospel and it was certainty and it wasn't. True, and, and it's because. Now, you know, we're relaying what you guys are telling us. We're hearing what's going on. We understand there didn't seem like a, a, a lot of unknowns. We waited for the vaccine. We were told it's going to be a lot longer. Thankfully, they were wrong about that. Then we were told, don't wear masks, give you a false sense of security. And then when asked, why are we told to wear masks and maybe two masks? And we even had somebody say we should wear goggles. Remember this in June, cut 27. We did not want them to be without the equipment that they needed. So there was not enthusiasm about going out and everybody buying a mask or getting a mask. We were afraid that that would deter away from the people who really needed it. So he was saying that I knew we should wear a mask, but I was afraid everyone would go buy one. So I told you not to wear a mask. I mean, that doesn't pass the laugh test. Well, but this gets back to my my other point, which is that when we're putting out guidance to the public, when CDC was issuing guidance, and this is a big part of what I talk about in the book. We, first of all, the data was imperfect. We, sh- we, we need better information to inform these, these decisions. We need a, an agency that's capable of doing real-time analysis and informing policy decisions, informing policymakers much more quickly. We had guidance in place that, that was unclear, uncertain, based on poor information, and it sort of stood in place. We didn't re-adjudicate it. But when CDC issued guidance to the public, like, we should stand six feet apart, um, this is spreading through droplets and not through aerosols, and, or it's spreading through contaminated surfaces, which we now know is wrong, they don't, um, they don't have to articulate what the scientific rationale is for their judgments. If you go and look at a CDC document, oftentimes they don't really articulate what is the scientific basis, and they don't have to articulate what the level of certainty is. So when the public gets that guidance, they can't make assessments about which things they're going to try to follow with more vigor than others because certain things are more certain than other things. If the, if the intelligence community issues a piece of intelligence to a policymaker, they'll say, we assess X, and we assign a moderate degree of confidence to this. You'll never hear public officials talk like that. And I think that's the kind of lexicon and language we need to adopt so the public actually has a sense of what the level of scientific rigor and certainty is around these recommendations. Because we're looking for, you guys are, you know, wearing the lab coats, going through the data, going out, looking at experiments, studying diseases, looking through the microscope. I get it. But then when the public has practical questions, hey, can I go out? Can I go to work? Uh, can I hang out in a bar? Can I open up my restaurant? And that's when people... I don't know if they're going to get themselves into trouble when they answer this, but then we hear later going outside without a mask, obviously, in the woods, one of the safest things you can do. In Australia, they're arresting people for that. That's their problem. But I remember hearing this specifically and thought, where did this come from? Cut 24, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. So if you have five 10-year-olds who are on a soccer field all in front of the same soccer ball, we're trying to make sure that they're not a lot of heavy breathing around a singular soccer ball with five kids around it at the same time. So we can't breathe outside around a soccer ball. See, these are the practical things that, that I, I walk the streets. People are asking me these questions, but we were getting such contradictory answers. We found out later being outside playing sports is not a problem. Look, I think it gets back to the underlying issue where there was a, a high degree of uncertainty about what was and wasn't uh sources of transmission, what were the social and geographic compartments where this virus was spreading? We didn't really understand that, and we made false presumptions about it. 
uh, because we had imperfect information. We weren't collecting adequate information. We didn't have an agency capable of doing the analytical work. CDC wasn't really up to the task. We need to change all this going forward if we're going to be better prepared for the next pandemic. But we also have to recognize where the problems were. I mean, one example, early on in the crisis, and I talk about this in the book, CDC was making um, issuing numbers every day on how many people were hospitalized with COVID. So they said there were 2,300 people hospitalized with COVID. This was early on. Most people thought there were 2,300 people hospitalized with COVID. But what, what CDC was actually doing was they were collecting a sample of hospitalizations from 1,000 of the nation's 6,000 hospitals and then modeling how many people they thought were hospitalized with COVID. So you thought they were actually reporting the number, but they weren't. And they actually told the journal Science at the time that it's impossible to actually collect information on how many people were hospitalized with COVID. We now know that's not true. The numbers we're putting out now are actual hospitalizations, but it just goes to show you how flawed the data collection, the analytical work was, and what was being communicated to the public. This cut through the entire crisis. We didn't have good information to make decisions, and we didn't have a clear articulation of how flawed the information was. So, you know, let me just tell you, I'm in the real world, and you're in, uh, you're in the medical world, who's a, as an excellent broadcast. I watch you every Sunday, especially on Faith the Nation. But in the real world, but this is what people say to me. Out of nowhere, the president of the United States says, I got an announcement Wednesday afternoon. We're going to get booster shots. The FDA 16 to 2 says, I don't, I don't think that's a good move. That's a little premature. So the, the administration looks confused at the very least. I don't care who's right. They look confused. And then people come up to me all the time and say, wait a second. Don't they make money off these shots? I know you're on the board of Pfizer. If I'm on Pfizer, I'm hiring Dr. Scott Gottlieb. There's nothing wrong with that. You say it every time you hop on the air. I get it. But people see a money element to, why do I need a booster? Really? You said I wasn't going to get any care. I'm not going to get it if I get the virus. 90% chance I'm not. Then we have these breakthrough cases. Wait a second. Then the breakthrough cases, well, don't worry about it. You have less symptoms, which ended up being true. And now we need a booster shot. People say, why is it that Pfizer and Moderna, uh, and Moderna's heading there, get the booster shots, but Johnson & Johnson is not, no one's recommended they get that booster shot, is a profit of anything to do with what you guys are saying? Well, look, I think that we're going to have recommendations around all the vaccines. And I think the FDA and CDC came out in the right place around boosters. They didn't say the entire population needs to go get boosters. Where they, what they said is people over the age of 65 and those in long-term care facilities should get boosters. And for everyone else, they have to make a judgment based on their occupational exposure and their underlying health conditions. I think that's pretty good guidance. There's pretty clear evidence now from Israel that older individuals who were vaccinated a long interval ago are getting breakthrough infections in a growing number of cases, those breakthrough infections are translating into... Dr. Gottlieb, um, real quick, I'm up against a break, but why is the president jumping the FDA? Let the board come up with a conclusion, because the risk of distrust is too great. Don't you agree? I agree that this was a disjointed process that created a perception of disharmony between the different public health officials, and that that saps public confidence if people don't think even the experts can agree. The process wasn't run well. I agree. I tell you, if you want to get the truth, find out how we got to where we are, somebody without a political agenda, it's Dr. Scott Gottlieb's book. You need to read it. It's called Uncontrolled Spread. Doctor, I'm glad you're on this book tour. I got a chance to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. uh, Back in a moment with your calls. We'll also give you the latest on the testimony. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Um, as I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, yes, my assessment was uh, back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout, that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that, uh, in order to move toward a negotiated gated solution. Did you, present, did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. McKenzie's saying, yes, he did it. He's restating it right now with Senator Tom Tillis. Yes, he did recommend it. They also factor in, he said, correct, 5,600 5, NATO troops. Also factoring in that human intelligence, we didn't know it then. I'm glad we didn't. The CIA had, CIA had bases there in order to continue with human intelligence to make us effective on the ground. That's why. So if you explain to the American people that this is why we need to be there to stop the next terrorist attack, we don't need to dominate or make a democracy. It would have worked. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The idea that this president was bound by a decision made by a prior president. This was not a treaty. And it was clearly an agreement where the Taliban were not living up to it. This president, President Biden, could have come in, reasserted conditions, and completely changed the timeline. He's not bound by the president's prior agreements any more than he was bound by the President Trump's decision to exit the Iran deal or the Paris Climate Accords. So that, to me, is a false narrative. And it's one that we keep hearing. So that was Senator, Senator Tillis, who came very prepared. We have Austin, Milley. And McKenzie, uh, they are testifying today. McKenzie could not be more laid back or more direct. And uh, Millie, too. But General Austin only wants, Secretary of Defense Austin only wants to talk about how great it was to get all these people out so quickly. Uh, that is a small part of the story. Again, it is men and women who are asked to execute doing the best they can with commanders that fall far, far short. How is it going so far? Let's ask uh, our chief political anchor, anchor of uh, an executive editor of Special Report. Author of To Rescue the Republic, a great book uh, that is coming out next Tuesday. I thought it was this Tuesday, but the extra promotion is always welcome in the Brett Bear world, I'm sure. Brett, first off, what do you think of the testimony so far? Uh, listen, I think it's uh, pretty damning as far as laying out the recommendations that the military gave to President Biden. And they're getting right up to the line. But then General Austin said the president got that advice. Um, meaning all of them saying they recommended 2,500 stay on the ground uh, for the short term. That, with NATO troops and other allies, uh, equaled about 7,000 total, uh, which is where it was uh, until, you know, to give a hand on the shoulder of the Afghan forces uh, and also close air support during that time. Now, the argument the administration has made and President Biden has made is that if I did that, it would mean tens of thousands of more troops going in over time. These guys are not saying that. These guys are saying that their recommendation 
was keep it at this level until evacuations happen and then pull them out. The president, it is clear, it was in the Woodward book, and we have separate you know, acknowledgement of this, uh, acted on his own uh, above and beyond the recommendation of these military leaders. So uh, well, Dan Sullivan speaking right now. He'll be on primetime tonight. Uh, he's active in the military still, talking generally to, to Milley. So they said, I won't tell you exactly what I recommended to the president. Let me tell you what I thought and what I think. Bob Woodward's book also reveals that Austin told him, too, to leave some troops there. And if you combine that with the NATO troops, and then we now know about details about the CIA, uh, you know, the CIA operation, we would have been fine getting intelligence out of that area for years to come. And was also pointed out, too, by Senator Cotton, um, no, it was Tillis, how many times and when did the Taliban first start violating that agreement? And he said in the summer of 2020, in the spring of 2020. So right there, if you had any breach of the agreement, it was supposed to be a reason to rip it up. And that's what one would believe would have happened when the Taliban proved to be untrustworthy. Here is yeah. a oh, go go ahead, Brett. And then I have well, I just want to say that you know the president and the administration go back to it was a courageous move to end this twenty-year war, and that this never-ending war came to an end because of the courageous courageous decision of President Biden. That's not to take away that every president wanted to get out of there eventually, uh, and the draw that the military says and always recommends. But Biden made this decision. It is clear. On his own, I think we're going to come to learn that it wasn't just the military, uh, that the intelligence comes back and says it potential for a fall, and that his State Department was recommending the same thing. So, um, yeah, it's courageous, but it also led to a very messy situation. Also, uh, I want you to hear, so we have another clip here. This is the other clip. Oh, here is um, Secretary of Defense Austin and Senator Cotton. Secretary Austin, uh, President Biden last month in an interview with George Stephanopoulos said that no military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence in Afghanistan. Is that true? Uh, Senator Cotton, I, uh, I believe that, uh, well, first of all, I, I know the president to be an honest and forthright man. Uh, and just, secondly, just a, it's a simple question, Secretary Austin. He said no senior military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence behind. Is that true or not? Did these officer and General Miller's recommendations get to the president personally? Their input was, uh, was received by the president and considered by the president, uh, for sure. Uh, in terms of what they specifically recommended, Senator, they just, as they just said, uh, it, they're not going to provide uh, what they recommended in confidence. So we know the answer to that. Um, well, he just did. He yeah. just said it. He just said they received – he received their recommendations. Then they said, we're not going to tell you exactly what we told the president, but here's what our recommendations were. You know, so basically it's just a one-off. And they went down that road about four different times, and the answer always came back the same, that – Personally, they believed that 2,500 troops with the additional NATO forces was enough to give the Afghans what they needed to get through this time frame and for us to get evacuated. And then when you pressed, well, did you get that to President Biden? You know, they hedged. But you just heard Austin say the president received 
that recommendation. So remember this interview with George Stephanopoulos. Let's listen. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame, all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Yeah, either his memory's bad and there's things and supplements we can get to him, or he's not telling the truth. There's not a split. There was actually un- unanimity <laughs> on the other way. And, you know, what he said there is not true. He added that I can recall. So, you know, he's not under oath, obviously, but these guys are on Capitol Hill. And, um, you know, I think that this is going to be eventually where this whole thing comes down is beyond the recommendation of all his senior leadership. The president wanted to make a stand and wanted to say, this is my decision. And for whatever reason, wanted it to happen on that time frame. And he wants it to go away, but the humiliation is going to last generations. I don't know if he gets that. Here's a little of the give and take with Tom Cotton, uh, Cut 56. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Um, did you ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? Again, I'm not going to be able to comment on uh, those executive discussions. Did General Miller ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? I think it would be best to ask him. I believe that his opinion was well heard. And it was to keep troops in country or the tele- or the Afghan forces would rapidly fall apart. So Yeah. And listen, the other thing that was really interesting was the, the questioning, uh, I think it was from Senator Wicker, about the uh, credibility of the U.S. around the world with allies and adversaries and the amount of damage. And he was quoting from a, a piece that said the damage is incalculable. Um, and asked Millie about it, and uh, Millie said, yes, damage is a word that would describe. Yeah, Austin backtracked. Let's listen. Cut 52. I think that our credibility um, with allies and partners around the world and with adversaries uh, is being intensely reviewed by them to see which way this is going to go. And I think that damage is one word that could be used, yes. But Austin is all aboard. Mr. Politician, he wants to keep his job. Cut 53. I, I think our credibility remains solid. Clearly, uh, Senator, there will be people who question uh, things going forward. But I would say that, uh, you know, we, the United States military is one that, uh, and the United States of America, uh, people place uh, great uh, trust and confidence in. And relationships are things that we have to work on continuously. And, and we understand that. And we'll continue to do that. So there's no doubt about yeah. it. Our damage is, is, is hurt. And, only, and more has been hurt since then when you look at what happened with France uh, recently when they recalled their ambassador. That further damage yeah. relations. There wasn't a lot of momentum and enthusiasm after the president's speech to the United Nations either last week. Right. And, I, you know, I think you can read between the lines here at this hearing and that General Milley and General McKenzie are kind of straight up saying it how they feel. There's not a lot of sugarcoating here. There may be some words that they're, you know, dancing around, but they're eventually getting to the hard-nosed truth. Uh, they're military guys. 
you know, Millie's uh, opening statement included the defense of, of all the focus uh, of the Woodward book and, and Costa book about the calls to the Chinese, about the process on the nuclear launch, and pushed back very hard about uh, any allegation that he was usurping power. I thought it was pretty effective, uh, maybe so effective that he hasn't been really asked about that line of questioning. It's been more Afghanistan and, and the credibility of the country. Yeah, you got the House tomorrow, but I do say you only have five minutes, and you say to yourself, man, the most, uh, you know, the most, uh, it was total anarchy, the exit. You have to ask, a, you ask yourself, what's more important, Bob Woodward sales or this about a president that's no longer there? So that's the issue. But here's a little of how it sounded on the call to China. He was trying to uh, verify that it was necessary. Cut 47. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese. And it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. And quickly tell Bob Woodward and get it down in the book. Uh, so you got to wonder <laughs> who he's talking to and why. But how do you feel about this? You know every aspect of this story, and it is that the Chinese had picked up that they thought the president was going to possibly attack them with a nuclear attack. We haven't talked about bombing China since MacArthur was uh, functioning under Truman. I mean, is that true with China's ability to synthesize intelligence that they really thought Trump was going to attack them? I believe, having talked to a number of officials about this, that there was intel that the Chinese were reacting to. Not that it was going to be a nuclear attack, but there would be some sort of confrontation in the South China Sea, by those islands. There would be some provocation by the U.S. to China to somehow stir the pot during this uncertain time around the election. And um, so Milley reaches out. The thing that his defense and the way that he lays it out is is very uh, believable is is all the people in the room and the fact that he briefs uh, Secretary Miller, he briefs other people, he briefs National Security Council in his words. If that's all true, the whole writing and phrasing and narrative of Woodward that he's you know a rogue agent kind of defending uh, the country against Trump is all BS. And you know, as he tells it, it's pretty believable to listen to General Milley. Understood. So you're saying that Woodward wants to make himself to be the hero. He wants Milley to be the hero, right? And and he's the chronicler of you know this inner drama. Well, maybe it wasn't as drama as Woodward portrayed it to be, which we've seen in other books. True. A lot going on. And, Brett, I did crack your book. I know a lot, the, a lot about the area. I didn't know any of this. But when, you know, as Ulysses S. Grant says, OK, I'm done with eight years of, of um, you know, eight years of being president. You had my years as general. We are just out, uh, out from underneath the Civil War. Another crisis almost as big. And I haven't seen anyone chronicle it like you did. So I look forward to hearing more about your book next week. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And listen, the people who tuned in on the handover last night thought the book went on sale today. So, you know, you've got the pre-orders 
you know, jacked them up. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, to the rescue. Those people are going to be very happy when it finally arrives <laughs> in their inbox. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. I'll see you on the handoff right. tonight. Sounds good. You got yeah. it. one 408 7669 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be back with more clips from the testimony ongoing. Uh, we're getting the senator from North Dakota speaking right now, uh, right at McKenzie. We'll hear it in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I'm going to be lucky enough to all week to be on primetime at 7 o'clock tonight. One of my guests is Dan Sullivan, senator from Alaska, who's still active in the military as an officer. I thought that his rat-a-tat-tat through the Joint Chiefs, uh, as well as uh, the Secretary of Defense, and the commanding general, McKenzie, was important. Let's listen. But I want to emphasize, you do not have a duty, constitutional or otherwise, to cover for the commander-in-chief when he is not telling the truth to the American people. With that, I have a few questions that I'd like you to keep short, concise answers to. On August 18th, in a media interview to the American people, the president said that none of his military advisors told him that he should keep U.S. forces in Afghanistan. General Milley, that was a false statement by the President of the United States, was it not? I didn't even see the statement, to tell you the truth. I'm reading you a truthful statement. Um, that, was, that was a false statement. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, look at. Look, I, I don't have a lot of time. Okay, was that okay. a false statement to the, the American I'm people I'm not going to categorize not? the statement of the President of the United States. General McKenzie, was that a false statement? The, pre- the President said none of his commanders said that he should keep troops in Afghanistan. Was that a false statement by the president of the United States? Remember, you do not have a duty to cover for the president when he's not telling the truth. Was that a false statement I've or not? You, I've given you my opinion on the matter. I've given you my judgment on it. And I'll let, I think I'll we all know it was a false statement. Okay? That's number one. president also said if there's an American citizen left behind in Afghanistan, the military is, not, is going to stay until we get them out. General Milley, was that statement, did that statement turn out to be true or untrue by the president? I think that was the intent, but we gave him a recommendation on the 25th of August to terminate the mission on the 31st of August. statement was untrue. Let me make another, let me ask another question. General Milley, General McKinsey, the president around the same time said, quote, al-Qaeda was gone from Afghanistan, told the American people that. Was that true or not true? Was al-Qaeda gone from Afghanistan in mid-August? True or not true? Al-Qaeda is still in Afghanistan. They were there in mid-August. Uh, they have been severely uh, disrupted and attrited over many, many years. They are not... So it wasn't true. General McKinsey, was that true or not? Al-Qaeda was present in Afghanistan. Okay, so it wasn't true. So good. So good. And you know by their non-answer, it's an answer. And it's, and it's flat out what we've been discussing here, taking calls on, going back and forth and saying, how could he just say that? Two days goes by, the general says something different. Well, that was right there. And if you're a general and chairman chiefs of staff, this is on your record, too. And you say to yourself, do I really want to go down with the ship here? One of the worst military decisions in the history of this country. Do I really want to be secretary of defense when that happens? Clearly, General Austin saying, yeah, it doesn't bother me. Uh, clearly, it does McKenzie. His body language is he looks like he's disappointed with himself as well as decisions being made. And General Milley, if he has any sense of self, would be embarrassed that he's forever linked with something worse than the Saigon exit. I'll see you tonight at 7. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Tell me what you think about the show anytime. 
anywhere. And also, find out where to see me in the War on History, the President of the Freedom Fighter Tour, on BrianKilmead.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.